नमस्ते गाइस आई एम डॉक्टर अनुश्रुति एंड आई एम बैक विद एन अमेजिंग एपिसोड साइंस बेस्ड पेन रिलीफ इज द बेस्ट गिफ्ट आई कैन गिव यू ऑल थ्रू माय एपिसोड एंड टू हेल्प मी आउट विद दिस टुडे ऑन बोर्ड आई हैव अ वेरी गॉर्जियस वुमेन डॉक्टर एलिसा वुल्फ हु इज अ फिजिकल थेरेपिस्ट क्रोनिक पेन स्पेशलिस्ट एंड अ पेन कोच शी हेल्प्स पीपल बीट क्रोनिक पेन बाय रीट्रेनिंग द नर्वस सिस्टम She is joining us live directly from USA. So let's not waste time and speak to her. Hello, Dr. Elisa. How are you? Hi, I'm good. And if I, I'm so sorry. I'm still recovering from a cold, so if my voice sounds a little stuffy, that's what's going on. But, but I'm Completely good. Completely fine. Good. It Thank sounds beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> well, you specialize in dealing, uh, you know, recovering people through pain by nervous system. so i want to know like first question coming up on your way what are some long term neurological effects of pain mm. yeah um so it's funny because that question implies that pain has to exist for a long time in order to start experiencing some changes in the nervous system um but re- the real the truth is that these changes can start to happen very soon after an initial injury the problem becomes when um those changes don't reverse themselves and don't go back to normal after a certain amount of time um but what are some changes that happen in the nervous system well we can have increased sensitivity in our peripheral nervous system those nerves basically can get really good at detecting different stimuli so they can get good at detecting movement they can get good at detecting changes in blood supply stress levels changes in temperature um immune system responses they can get really good at detecting that stuff um and so that becomes a problem because then that message that those body parts are sending is saying danger 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 when the stimulus may not be dangerous um so something like a light touch maybe getting that nerve to fire but that's not necessarily dangerous but it feels like it um and so then there's some changes that happen in the spinal cord essentially the gatekeeper in our spinal cord the very first level of processing that happens in the spinal cord um the spinal cord acts as like a gatekeeper which prevents certain information from going up to the brain because the brain doesn't need to hear everything that's going on in our body but after a while that one is actually a result of long term pain it, um of long term pain it can it can change that gatekeeper so that more messages are getting sent up to the brain that are not necessarily necessary for the brain to be hearing so an example of that would be a message like the body saying hey you're wearing pants and normally that spinal cord would say we don't need the brain to know about that like it's it's okay we 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 know we're wearing pants we're good but instead the brain would send that message up and say danger danger you're wearing pants which is not friendly and then there are some changes that happen inside the brain um and one of the big ones i won't go into all of them but one of the big ones is when the brain changes and it loses some of its ability to correctly interpret those messages that it's getting from the body and so when it's getting that message now danger danger you're wearing pants the brain instead of going oh i'm wearing pants okay i know what to do the brain responds and it goes oh no like i i don't know what this message means this could mean i'm wearing pants or it could mean that we just got stabbed in the back and so in the event that it can't tell what's going on it's going to say we better protect you 
So it's going to activate your pain response. It's going to give you pain uh, as the alarm. And then it'll activate its other protective responses like ramping up muscle tension and, and tightness to help guard those areas that might be at risk for injury or recently injured. So um, among lots of other things, but that's um, a very long-winded gist of what some of the changes are that happen after having these uh, nervous system changes. So that's such a cute way of demonstration and making my audience understand. I believe there would be no other easy way to understand the neurological effects. Well, mm -hmm. a lot of my audience, I know that they are going through gut problems. I have seen that gut problems are actually related to nervous system. I am really excited to know how are they interlinked. Sure. So I just mentioned that, you know, when the brain doesn't know what the message means, it's going to activate its protective responses. So one of which is tensing up muscles and saying like, we need to protect that, but it's going to activate its other protective responses. So it basically shifts their physiology into that state of fight or flight. And when you're in fight or flight or your sympathetic nervous system is the one that's activated that means that the rest and digest functions are not turned on so the basically the body says it's better for me to utilize my survival resources right now with fighting fl fight flight or flee responses instead of wasting energy on trying to digest foods or um, instead of wasting wasting energy on reproduction or wasting energy on forming new memories or thinking tasks or higher level like um, problem solving types of things. And so with chronic pain, we tend to see these these um, digestive system, gut health sort of things that start to pop up. And it kind of makes sense if you think about it from that perspective of like, well, my nervous system is trying to protect me. And so it's prioritizing this survival response and saying right now, it's not safe for me to digest. I need those. I need that energy to survive. I need to put it somewhere else. Um, and so what's surprising, what's really surprising is when um, we do some of this nervous system retraining type of thing, none of it has to do with diet. Um, like I don't help people modify their diet or anything like that, but what's crazy to me is like, we see these improvements in gut problems and digestive system problems without ever really directly touching that system. Um, and same with the reproductive system and brain fog and sleep, like all of that stuff gets better just by addressing what I'd say is the root cause, but Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's see how much my audience actually, you know, keep them, keep all these information in mind, because we know that people nowadays are suffering from short term memory. Mm -hmm. Why do you think like people nowadays are having short term memory? So I know my audience also, you know, everyone who's listening this and watching this episode, I know that you guys are having a great memory, but the question to Dr. Elisa why is it happening? Why is it becoming so common? Why is it prevailing? You know, people of tender age, students, young kids are having short-term memories. Why is it happening? Well, what I can say is just tied to what I understand about the nervous system through my perspective of chronic pain. Because in chronic pain, what's happening with their their memory loss or their, their lack of being able to form short-term memory has to be, it's tied to, number one, it's tied to that fight or flight response because our brain in that moment is saying, 
we would pri we would prioritize not forming new memories because that could um, take up too much energy. Um, so that's one element. But the another element is our brains have a certain level of bandwidth. And I'm not going to say that we can define what that bandwidth is, but when there's so much other stuff that our brain is trying to process, um, it doesn't have the bandwidth left over to form new memories, right? And problem solve and focus and concentrate. Um, and so like when we look at brain scans of folks who have chronic pain, we see this widespread overactivation going on. And um, I think that that's part of it. I think that that is definitely part of it. And then culturally, I think we are constantly being stimulated with these um, with social media and like the scrolling and like everything is coming at us so rapidly. Our brains are processing so much information and it's, it's adding to our stress levels, even though we don't really feel of it like as a stressor. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of information and our brains can't just process all of that. It's, it's a lot. So so in your country, does it happen that people often tend to say that if you have almonds, you have a great memory? If you have what? Almonds. Almonds? Yes. Because here in that. India, I, I, I knew that. I knew that actually, because here in India, it is said that if you have, if you eat almonds daily, you'll have a great memory. So it's like used as a pun as well, but it is just a saying. Well, with this, I would like to introduce Dr. Elisa, you to one of the segments of my show where we answer the questions of my followers and patients. So are you ready to answer the questions I have ready with me for you? Hope so. <laughs> okay. Well, today I'll be having a very good question and the person himself is going to ask the question to you. Oh. So why not to begin with this? Hello, Dr. Elisha. I am Ashish from New Delhi. I guess you know about New Delhi, capital of India. My question is about my father's sleep disorder. He does not take his sleep in one go. I don't know what the reason is. And uh, I just want to know that it is related to his nervous problem, nervous system problem or something else. Please answer. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, oh, that was so sweet. <laughs> oh, should I just go? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um. Well, without context of what everything is going on, it's really hard to to t give your father a specific answer of like what is going on. Um, from what I can say from a nervous system perspective. Um, what I would be looking for are things like what are his stressors? Is he also experiencing pain along with that? Um, but typically when you're trying to address a nervous system sleep sort of a problem, you want to approach it from give it consistency because if it is stress related or pain related, a lot of times when it's pain related, we automatically think, well, it's just because you can't get into a comfortable position and that it's, it's waking you up because you're just uncomfortable. I think there is a part of that, but also, our nervous systems, when we're under stress or when we're in fight or flight or when we're in pain, our nervous systems are craving consistency. So if you want to get better sleep, you want to make sure that you're going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time every day and every night. 
So that's something that I would be looking at. And I would also um, recommend some kind of like sleep routine. So something that you do the same thing every night of following the same steps at the same time every night before going to bed. And what that does is it's teaching your nervous system that this is the process. This is the step-by-step -step process and it's expectant that the next step is sleep. When you teach your nervous system those things, it just is, it's going to calm down and say, okay, I know the next step. It's not that I can't predict what's happening next. When, when things are really unpredictable and inconsistent, our nervous system just is like, whoa, I don't know what to do, right? And so when you give it that consistency, it can kind of take a step back and chill and relax and, and know like the next step is sleep. Um, and so it can take some time to get into sort of that kind of a rhythm. Um, but like I said, it's hard to give you an answer as to if that is truly a nervous system problem, if there could be some other components going on. Obviously, you'd probably want to get evaluated by a medical provider if you haven't already to rule out like sleep apnea or other sleep disorders. Um, but I'd say even if it is sleep apnea or um, any other kind of sleep disorder, there's probably a nervous system component there and you can benefit from utilizing that consistency no matter what, yeah. Okay, well, moving on, I have another question for you, which is from Kartik Gupta from Madhya Pradesh. Madhya Pradesh is a beautiful state of India. Okay, he says, hello, Dr. Elisa, how are you? I am suffering from depression for the past three months. I take sessions with therapists, but I really want to know how does this happen? Hmm. Interesting. There's a lot that could go into that. And that's definitely not necessarily my zone of expertise when it comes to that. Um, because like I said, I am very much into the pain side of things. But there's lots of different things that could be going into why you're having that sort of depression, why that's happening. Um, <laughs> sorry. It's okay. um, <laughs> um <clears throat> but one thing that um is interesting to understand from a nervous system perspective if we're talking about nervous system stuff um we understand that in our brains um there's a lot of talk about dopamine being like the happy hormone that prevents depression um and in the brains of some individuals there's a the receptor for I'm getting into, into the science here but hopefully your your listeners will follow with me but there's a receptor called the mu receptor which is the the receptor that connects to the chemical opioid now you have naturally occurring opioids in your body you don't have to take in a medication an opioid in order for your endogenous opioids to have an effect but those endogenous opioids bind to the mu receptor but what we studies have found is that folks who have depression and anxiety have less availability of their mu opioid receptors, which means that in the brain, when that opioid binds to its receptor, it's not, it's not, or it's not, a, it's not able to bind to the receptor, or there aren't enough of those receptors for it to bind to, which means that in the brain, it's not stimulating the release of dopamine, which could be tied to, um, symptoms of depression. 
Um, the reason now we do know too that it can be um, the mu opioid availability can be tied to your genetics. So that is an element, but also it's it's changeable. We can influence our mu opioid avail receptor avail availability based on our environment, our personality types, our coping strategies, um, our belief systems. So that can change as well. And so um, really looking at kind of what are some of the ele other elements going on there. If you can provide your body with a sense of safety and confidence, and it doesn't have to feel like it needs to ramp up its defense mechanisms, um, that may be one way to shift that back. But um, yes, like I said, not my zone of expertise as, as far as depression goes. And um, but hopefully providing some little tidbits of neuroscience for you to go off of. Very well answered. Very well. Well, uh, moving on, we have another question who is Jay Khan from Uttar Pradesh. Okay, he says, I'm a student of civil services. My concentration power is becoming weak. How is this related to neuro? Also, how to have a good concentration power to study? Mm. Um, <laughs> I think part the part first part of that question, as far as like, why is it hard to focus and concentrate may have to do with what I just said a little bit earlier about like just having so many different stressors and stimuli and things like that. Um, what I would suggest in order to help you study and focus better is to designate specific times for that, for studying, um, and basically block out everything else off of your schedule at that time. So like there's no interruptions, there's no cell phone, like don't have your phone sitting out there on your desk, put it in another room, put in earbuds, put on some white noise, because you, you really, we tend to have all these distractions. Um, but when it's on your schedule, it's at this time, there's nothing else that's supposed to interrupt you. All right, um, that's gonna be the best way to really stay focused. Um, and so that's one strategy that I use for sure, to stay focused. Okay, bingo, Dr. Alisa, you've answered all the questions. And here with this, we have come to an end of the episode as we just got to know that Dr. Elisa is suffering from cold. So we'll not compel her to speak a lot for us. Also, I do hope Dr. Elisa, you enjoy speaking to us despite having cold with me and my audience and your time was fruitful. Yes, absolutely. I appreciate you having me. And thank you so much. Already my coughing. <laughs> thank you so much. Take care. Also, I would like to remind all you guys, whosoever want to send me the question for my next speaker, you can DM me your video, audio, or text version on any social media handle. This is your reminder to straighten your back, have a glass of water, and a good sleep. Till then, take care. Goodbye.